Welcome to the OSMA Talks podcast series, hosted by Oklahoma State Medical Association President, Dr. Larry Bookman, MD. Today I have uh, the honor of having Dr. David Chansome, the head of infectious disease at Integris Baptist uh, Medical Center. Uh, David, I'm going to call you by your first name. I feel uncomfortable uh, saying Dr. Chansome every time, but thank you for taking time out of your busy day. I, I know this is uh, a time that everybody at all the hospitals is uh, covered under, and especially in infectious disease. Um, I wanted to put out that uh, the health department yesterday put out some information that they're in the state of Oklahoma. We have 360 ICU beds, 754 ventilators all available. How are things at Integris? Uh, we continue to do daily, <clears throat> excuse me, do daily audits um, of available uh, ventilators, available ICU beds. We've been surge planning for quite some time as far as identifying different units um, that we are going to try and um, uh, kind of cohort these patients on. Um, right now we, we have ventilators available, um, but we anticipate during the surge that that resource uh, scarcity is going to become a reality, and we're going to have to look at um, um, all kinds of different options for trying to, trying to get clever with the resources that we have. Can you tell our uh, listeners – why are ventilators so important? What does COVID-19 do in the lungs, and what do ventilators do? So um, COVID-19 is a virus that attacks the lungs preferentially. It attacks a certain um, target in the lung called the ACE receptor, and uh, for some reason likes to dock on that particular um, um, compound. So it, it causes pneumonia primarily. It can cause other organ damage too, but the primary damage is, is, is to the lung. Um, in a very small subset of patients, that lung disease will become quite severe. Uh, again, remember, most patients have uh, mild courses of diseases. They're able to stay home and kind of work through their fever and things like that, but some people will develop frank pneumonia, uh, viral pneumonia, so it's not the regular kind of bacterial pneumonias that we think of a lot, like people get a pneumonia shot for or something like that. This is a viral pneumonia. Uh, when that virus attacks the lungs, it causes fluid buildup. Uh, a person could become very short of breath. Uh, their oxygen levels can dip dangerously low. And what a ventilator is, is, is a machine that kind of does the um, breathing for, uh, for the person while their lung is getting better. It doesn't really fix anything. It's more supportive, meaning that it kind of helps the person breathe while their lungs heal themselves. And, and that can be difficult based on underlying lung function, whether or not somebody has, like, for example, emphysema or if they smoke or if they vape, uh, if they have some other kind of lung disease that, uh, like a cystic fibrosis or something that could make their lungs more susceptible to injury, um, then, then there are going to be varying difficulties with that. Um, experience has shown us that ventilators in patients with COVID-19 pneumonia um, have to have to be used for a while uh, so it can be anywhere from a few days to several weeks and people can be on the ventilator while their lung is healing hopefully um, and that's the idea that it's supportive through that process until they get to a point where they're able to come off of the ventilator and we do certain little things with the machine to be able to, to kind of ascertain how well somebody's lung function is going to be if we take the tube out of the uh, uh, take the tube off 
we know in Oklahoma where smoking has been a, a long-term problem, we know chronic lung disease is um, very common in Oklahoma as well as obesity uh, leading to other problems such as diabetes. And, and studies have shown that about 78% of ICU patients with COVID-19 have at least one underlying health problem. So in, in Oklahoma, that's going to be a, a large number. Do we have enough ICU beds uh, available both at Integris, where you are, but also throughout the state? Um, it, you know, it all depends on how many patients come in. Uh, some of the surge models I have seen uh, would really strain all of those resources. I think right now, if um, uh, things continue on their current trend, that there's a real chance that we might not have enough ICU beds. And then you start thinking about, you know, do you try and convert um, operating rooms into ICUs and convert um, different floors that weren't necessarily geared to be ICUs into ICU beds? And then, of course, the question of how many ventilators are in the state comes up also. So it all depends on, on how many patients come in at one time. Like I said, a patient who requires a ventilator can require it for several weeks. So that's a resource that's tied up. Um, the uh, idea behind flattening the curve that we've all kind of heard about over the last month, to month and a half, is not necessarily that we diminish the number of cases that present to the hospital. It's more that we spread those out over time so that a ventilator that was used a month ago for one patient can be used next month for another patient. That's the idea there. So it um, is very important that that's why flattening the curve is such an important issue for the healthcare system is because we feel like in countries that have been able to do that, for example, South Korea and Japan, they've been able to preserve resources uh, along the way because not everybody is hitting the system at one time. If everybody hits the system at one time, then no, I don't think that Oklahoma would be able to handle it. And, and I think that's a, a important point that has been stressed over and over to all Oklahomans. And unfortunately, I find many uh, in this state who still don't believe it. But staying at home, isolating yourself, if you have any symptoms of cough, uh, runny nose, uh, you think it's a cold, stay at home. Uh, everybody who's carrying this virus can shed virus for several weeks and may infect up to two and a half more people. So we're not going to be able to flatten this curve unless people take it seriously and stay at home. Um, we need to understand that ventilators, um, much like all the other PPEs, which are uh, short in supply, but ventilators are very short. Every state in the union is trying to come up with ventilators, and they just aren't there to be had. Uh, the president uh, announced he's uh, hopefully going to have 100,000 ventilators in 100 days. 100 days is a long time. Uh, it may not be to the president, but to somebody who needs it, they need it now, not three months from now. And so I think uh, what you're hearing is very important that everybody take this seriously. Uh, more directly... I would extend it even, Larry, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. I, I would extend it even beyond the people who are necessarily sick and everything like that. Remember that there is a fair amount of asymptomatic shedders here, people who aren't sick at all, don't even know that they have it. We're in the middle of a pretty high pollen count. Of course, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's just my allergies or something like that, when in fact, 
they may be carrying the virus and passing it on to other people. So it's important that I think we limit all of our interaction as much as possible, regardless of how we feel, because there are so many people out there that are still able to transmit it and not even know that they're doing it. Absolutely. I think that's the critical uh, uh, point to all of this. Um, Some studies have said that it's a 10 or 11 to 1 ratio. We had 719 positive cases in the state of Oklahoma this morning. Uh, That means there's several thousand, maybe five to 10,000 people out there walking around, carrying the virus, spreading it, who don't really know they have it. So let's not look at just if you're a positive staying home. Everybody should be trying to stay home, and especially if you have any symptoms at all. Uh, David, I have a question. Uh, There's been a lot of interest nationally as well as locally with the use of hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. How does an antibiotic use help with a virus, or does it help? And what should people understand about these drugs? Uh, That's a great question. Um, The drugs have not been rigorously tested. Um, They had some original case reports coming primarily out of France in particular that um, show that they may have been effective in a very small observational study. As we have seen more and more around the country, people using that, a lot of those details have been called into question. It's not entirely clear that uh, when we really subject this to rigorous uh, data mining that, that those drugs are going to be quite as effective as we had hoped. They do not have antiviral activity. Primarily the way they work is through anti-inflammatory activity. Uh, we've always known that azithromycin is a very powerful anti-inflammatory agent in addition to being a really good antibiotic or antibacterial. Um, hydroxychloroquine is an old anti-malaria drug that is used a lot now in rheumatologic diseases in the United States. We don't see very much malaria here, obviously, so um, uh, it's more common to be used in anti, as, as an anti-rheumatologic agent, particularly in people with lupus or something of that nature, and that's because of its powerful anti-inflammatory properties as well. It does some different things inside the cell that might inhibit viral replication in vitro, meaning when they looked at it in the lab, it seemed to inhibit uh, SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus uh, pretty well. But those studies that are done in humans in real time have not really been there um, to the extent that we would like, that we would re- like we would normally um, uh, examine a new compound coming to market. So. There's going to be a lot of data that comes out later on about how well this stuff really works, when's the right time to start it, and everything like that. But right now, I wish we, I wish I could say we had a magic bullet. We don't. Uh, the care primarily is supportive, which means oxygen, acetaminophen, just kind of stuff to help your body uh, while it fights off the virus alone. And we have not yet found kind of that panacea that we all would like to have. I think that's a very important point that everybody needs to hear, that these are not uh, absolute treatments, that more studying needs to be done, and even maybe more important, they have serious side effects. So if people are just going out and getting them, uh, there's the chance that they're going to do more harm than they're doing good. Uh, This is something that uh, we need uh, more testing on, We need to see if this is even going to be an effective treatment for this particular virus. Um, As far as testing goes, uh, we know we've got the new 10 to 15-minute rapid test uh, that Abbott is making. The state 
has not been able to acquire those at this time. They are hoping to. But we do have increased testing with OSU and OU trying to develop uh, their own test. Um, so we do have increased testing ability. I was in a meeting this morning, um, and uh, the Secretary of Health wanted us to let people know that we are relaxing the testing restrictions. They no longer need a um, doctor's written prescription uh, to get testing done, that, um, but we do want to test those that are in the hospital, those that are in the emergency rooms, those that are healthcare workers, and certainly our nursing home, our most vulnerable patients. Those are going to be top priority, but hopefully we'll be able to get to people who are symptomatic. This is not testing for the person who just says, oh, I want to know. Um, if you have no symptoms, don't need a test. Uh, we don't have unlimited numbers, but we do have increased capacity, and they want to push that out to the people. So um, both for Dr. Chansom as well as everybody listening, that's an important uh, new um, uh, regulation. Uh, the governor is supposed to be on this afternoon to talk about that, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to, to uh clear up any questions that people have. But at present, David, what do you tell people with mild to moderate symptoms, and especially what good does hand washing do? People with mild to moderate symptoms uh, need to stay at home. Um, I've talked to several people that, you know, probably have coronavirus, uh, probably have COVID, um, that um, haven't been tested because they're young and healthy and, and have kind of a modicum of symptoms. They're not healthcare workers. Like you said, there's certain people that are sort of prioritized for testing because it has been a limited resource. Um, so I tell them to stay home uh, and, and to kind of just manage their symptoms. If they start feeling short of breath or having really significant problems, then at that point in time would be the appropriate time to go to the emergency room. Um, hand washing is so, 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 so important. This is primarily transmitted via droplets, which, um, you know, you can touch an infected surface and then touch your nose or your eyes or your mouth or something like that and transmit it that way. Then it gets into the respiratory tree and um, and can cause some trouble. But there's just you can't wash your hands enough. There are lots of videos out there on just how exactly to wash your wash your hands. The World Health Organization website has an excellent video on it. And it, you know it's not just a dollop of hand sanitizer and kind of rub it in. There's a certain way to do it. Um, and the and and doing that prevents not only you spreading it from others, but also if you potentially. Um, touched an infected surface or an infected um, product or something like that, that you would be able to prevent it yourself from transmitting it to yourself. Um, and that's, that's hard to do. We touch our face a lot more than we think. Uh, the other thing I would say kind of touching on the testing is um, it, it's true. Oklahoma is ramping up its testing and getting more tests and that's fantastic. And there have been a lot of really uh, ingenuity, uh, a lot of ingenuity going into the way we're getting our testing platforms done from the different universities and different facilities. And that's, been fantastic to see there are rapid tests out there um but they are being shunted to a lot of different places where they're having bigger problems and i think one of the most important things to remember is just because you're neg you have a test and you're negative today doesn't mean you won't be positive tomorrow if you don't adhere to the social distancing and the hand hygiene guidelines being negative today doesn't mean you won't be test positive tomorrow so my fear is that people would go and get a test and say oh it's okay for me to go out now and do this that and the other 
That's not how we flatten the curve. The only vaccine here is social distancing and hand hygiene. So even if if you can get a test or something like that, they're you know um, practicing those other things is still very 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 important in terms of limiting the spread of the disease uh, because we still are trying to protect our most vulnerable vulnerable patient populations. And like you said earlier, in Oklahoma, we we are not a very healthy state. We got a lot of vulnerable people. And we have to keep an eye out for them too. I I couldn't agree more, and we can't emphasize those points. Uh, often enough, people uh, often hear them, they just don't listen. Um, and so we need to keep emphasizing to the person who thinks he's healthy or thinks he's too strong to get this virus that he needs just as much as everybody else, hand washing, social distancing, um, isolating, and staying away from groups. Um, we, we can't emphasize that a- enough. Another important message at this time is that we have seniors and those with chronic health conditions who uh, need to continue to work with their health care providers to manage their health. Uh, We have uh, patients with high blood pressure, diabetes, and lung illness, and failing to control your underlying disease, failing to control any of these chronic diseases can lead to uh, more serious ailments that may require hospitalization, which are beds that may become in short supply, uh, so that you are doing your part if you help to control your own health. Uh, all of the chronic conditions, especially lung disease and diabetes, um, if this group would practice preventive health care, they can play an important part in reducing the strain on the health care system. Uh, and I think that's important. Also, telemedicine. Um, what is Integris doing about telemedicine, and how are you uh, recommending that to some of your referral doctors? Um, you know, Integris has, um, I believe they've, they've partnered with some different um, uh, platforms to try and ramp that up significantly. They are certainly pushing it out to their frontline providers, um, trying, to, trying to get them to, to engage in it more. Personally, I have done it already with several of my patients, um, some of my long-term patients that have uh, chronic infections that I don't see very frequently um, every six months or something like that. Uh, we, have, we have started doing it in our office, and I think that it's something that needs to be uh, recognized as a legitimate office visit, particularly in this, uh, in this setting right now. There's anything we can do, any little dent we can make in social distancing and keeping, particularly in vulnerable people who are the people who are going to be going to doctor's offices, any little dent we can make in that, a lot of what we do can be done over the over the um, uh, uh, video platform or telehealth pl- platform, and I think um, it can still be very effective medicine. Yes, I would rather do an examination on my patient every single time, of course, but we have to be cognizant of the extraordinary time in which we find ourselves and use everything at our disposal that we can to, um, to engage in appropriate patient care. I uh, support all of that. We are in a historic period of time. Uh, people will look back at this. It will be in the history books. Um, we all play a part. We all have an important role. We can help our neighbors, our family, uh, our friends by keeping our distance. That's how you play an important role 
and then doing what we've talked about with hand washing, um, uh, social distancing, and we need to worry less about whether we can get ourselves a test and more about what we can do to prevent illness from spreading in the state of Oklahoma. David, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, I know you're playing a, a very important role at Integris and all of the infectious disease doctors throughout the state. I thank you. Uh, we honor you, and uh, we couldn't do it without you. So, again, I'm going to say... I would take this opportunity to say it's not near as much me or any of the other infectious diseases doctors. It's really about the nurses and the respiratory therapists and the emergency room physicians and the frontline physicians. Those are the ones taking it on the chin more than anybody. And if you know somebody that's in healthcare, reach out to them, tell them thank you, because I promise you they could use that support right now. I, I couldn't agree more. And, um, uh, we do reach out to them. Um, and, um, uh, again, I thank you for the time you've spent with us on air today, and we look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Buckman. Learn more at okmed.org and on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Have a question for Dr. Bookman? Email him at osmatalks at okmed.org. Okay